and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz, and my guest today is Ash Moria. He is the CEO and founder of Lean Stack, and he is also the author of a new book called Scaling Lean, Mastering the Key Metrics for Startup Growth. So, Ash, welcome. Thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be on. So I was going to ask you this question uh, anyway, and then you addressed it in the intro, so I don't feel bad asking. Um, <laughs> does does the world really need another startup book? There's certainly a, a very crowded field today, isn't it? So how, how does this book sort of wedge its way in to be new information? Yeah, so for me, it, I, I think there's a lot of literature out there. Um, I think that what I tend to focus on are a lot of just foundational types of things. Um, so things like my last book was all about getting people to think about customers and problems more than solutions. So you see a lot of books about scaling and, and growth and growth hacks and all that kind of stuff. Right. To me, it's getting the foundations right. Um, in this book, too, the, the main kind of core message is you have an idea. How do you know it's even worth pursuing? So while I find ideas are cheap and we hear mm-hmm. that a lot, um, acting on them is really expensive. Even the best ideas consume years of your life. And to me, time is that scarce resource that we all have. So fundamentally, do you have an idea worth pursuing? Um, that's kind of what, where the book starts and then kind of goes from there. Yeah, that uh, uh, there, there are many, many people. I, in fact, I get you know people all the time that want to talk to me about their idea. <laughs> and, right. uh, um, you know, that idea of that connection between a great idea and great execution is is obviously what makes the difference. But what you're suggesting is, you know, a lot of these failures happen because it wasn't a good idea anyway. Yeah, yeah. So one thing that I've learned, and I thought this was just a first time entrepreneur thing, and I definitely made that you know mistake many many times, is this love for the solution. So mm-hmm. we have an idea, but if you really deconstruct it, for a lot of people, it's really I want to build this thing, and if I build it, magic will happen. And what you see time and time again is that the failure is not really even the building of the thing, but really building the right thing. Yeah. Uh, so I think fundamentally those are some of the, the back-to-basics questions that I really like to get people's heads around is what evidence do you have that people even want this thing that you build? Let's just wave a magic wand and imagine this thing exists. Do people even care? Let's start testing that first. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorites is when when people build something to solve a problem that people didn't know they had, <laughs> right, um, right? And and that's you know sometimes that actually works because you know you spend enough time. I mean, I don't know that everybody sat around thinking, "I wish I had an iPod," you know, for yeah. example. <laughs> but uh, um, but you know, there lo and behold, once they had it and had access to it, it solved a problem they didn't know they had. Um, but uh, but that's you know, there there are very few of those uh, unicorns, aren't there? Right, but even even there, I often draw the distinction. So you know, sometimes Apple likes to give the image of the Willy Wonka chocolate factory, you know, just creating these amazing products. But Steve Jobs was really gifted at problem solution. So even when he came up with the iPod, he said, "Yes, this is a music player, but the problem is that you can't carry all your songs with you." Right. So right. give you this device. So so the way I look at that is that it's not the customer's job to know what they want. That's literally coding Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. That's our job as the entrepreneur or the innovator. Yeah. But what we can do from customers is really understand what they would want based on the problems they have today. So I, I want to get another um, word sort of defined too because it's in your in your title. There are a lot of books that have the, the, the phrase or the concept lean yeah. uh, associated with them. So um, let, let's just frame that for this conversation. Yeah, so I guess the reference there, a lot of people you know, misconstrue that to meaning being scrappy or cheap or bootstrapping 
But the reference there really goes back to lean thinking and what you know also spurred a lot of the lean startup kind of books and thinking. Eric Ries kind of involved with that. And I was one of the early people that kind of liked some of those ideas and began to kind of play with them and adapt them. So it goes back to this idea of uh, lean, which came from Toyota. And the idea there was one of taking a scientific approach to reduce waste in the production process. And what Eric did is synthesize some of those ideas and said, as startups, we kind of have some very similar uh, parallels where there's a lot of uncertainty and we can apply the scientific approach. And if we just focus on removing waste in terms of customer value creation, we end up building these amazing, amazing products that people do want. So, so that's kind of where that, that back, back references to the word lean. So um, I, I've worked with a lot of business owners over the years, and and you know I've kind of have this systematic approach to building marketing, and a lot of times it starts with you know the customer and with the the, the core difference, and you know how you communicate that. But um, we end up so, somewhere down the road talking about metrics, <laughs> yeah. and uh, um, you, you certainly propose, and I and I've proposed a long time that this is where we ought to be starting, but nobody really wants to start with metrics. But you're suggesting that that's actually the, the real key. I, yes. And so I, I follow your work for many years. You know, I have all three books. And I, I know you have more, but the, the three, you know, kind of, I, I consider them the core books. Yes. Um, and then, um, you know, so like your model of the no like trust, um, you kind of see a parallel of that kind of with the Dave McClure pirate metrics kind of mixed in with some systems thinking in, in this book. Um, but the idea is that, yes, I do feel that fundamentally, I, this kind of occurred to me a few years ago, that fundamentally all businesses are the same, is that we create customers, we make customers, and there are these stages that customers go through, just like in your model. Um, when you first get to know them, there are some, some significant events that graduate them to those next stages. Right. And if we can just measure those stages, even at small scale, that's a great start. So using the factory metaphor, I say, you know, you're taking raw materials, which are these leads or you know, unaware visitors to begin with, but you're turning them into these customers. So you've got this great shiny idea. Imagine it exists. Imagine you go out there and run some ads or go tell people. If nobody says, I want to join the party, nobody wants to even take that next step, which we can measure, like, you know, here's my credit card or here's my email address, get in touch with me, um, then that's a non-starter. And it's sometimes that simple. And so that's why I'm a big fan of not measuring what customers say, but measuring what they do. And if we take that mindset, even in small scale, we can start to measure a lot of kind of, uh, you know, whether the model even can potentially work at all. Yeah. And I, I, unfortunately, once you start talking about metrics or, or you have people that, that really buy into that, you know, one of the first things that I see happening is that they start drowning in it, right? Because yeah, yeah. there's so many things that you can measure. And maybe if you're trying to get funding, there's so many things you think you need to try to measure to, to validate your idea or to, to get more money. So how do you, you know, everybody always says you have to measure what matters. How do you figure out what that is? Yeah, so, so that's where I, I start with that problem as well, because we, we live in a very interesting time where it's no longer hard to measure things, it's actually the opposite. You can put in a few snippets of JavaScript code and now you've got thousands of numbers and then we're drowning. Right. Um, so, so yeah, so I try to say there are secondary metrics which are helpful for troubleshooting, but you have to first identify where the problems are. And so I propose these five metrics. And so there's this chapter in the book about the customer factory blueprint. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is measuring things like acquisition, which is the first time when people say, I'm interested in your idea. 
activation when they get some value from you. So this would be you know, consuming some content or signing up for your product and having that first good session where they feel like, wow, this is good, I'll come back. Mm-hmm. Um, we then measure things like retention, which would be like trials in the case of software, right. uh, revenue, referral. And the, the key is to map certain customer actions to it. So I, I start the book by proposing what traction is. Because um, you see a lot of, again, startups running around saying we have traction, but they really mean we got funding or we have traction. And that really means that, you know, we went to a bigger office. And to me, it's, it, it all boils down to are you getting more customers this month versus last month or are you capturing monetizable value if you had a marketplace or a multi-sided model more this month versus last month? So I tell people, forget about fancy analytics tools, forget about kind of drowning in all these tools and numbers, just measure the traction metric first and then deconstruct it into five uh, user actions or customer actions that are leading indicators or, or mapped to those traction metrics and that's all you need to start with. Yeah, and you, you actually go as far as saying or suggesting, obviously you just deconstructed it, but suggesting that there's you, you want to get to like a single number, like there's one thing yes. that you're looking at. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, so, so yeah. So if, if I think, if I give an example of say a marketplace, let's look at Airbnb. There's Airbnbs of everything nowadays. Sure, sure. right. So I had an entrepreneur who came up to me, and they were doing an Airbnb for parking spaces. So they had these spaces which they were going to rent out that were privately owned, and they had all these people who said yes, they would do it, and they felt that was traction. And that's only half the story, which is again easy to see. But many entrepreneurs spend all this time saying, "Let's get thousands of parking spaces," and that's progress. Um, to me, it's not that the key metric there in a marketplace model is not how many buyers you have or how many sellers you have, but rather how many transactions do you make. So a much more um, actionable metric would be if they plotted week over week numbers where they showed the number of hours of parking spaces rented. Um, so that tells me that they were able to find buyers, they were able to find sellers. They both came together, agreed on a price. And if that number is going up and to the right week over week, I know the business model is doing well. Um, and if you look at Airbnb, they report the you know, number of uh, hotel bookings per night or some, something like that. And that's the same, same, same story there. Um, so you can go into any of those business model types and really come up with one key number that you and your stakeholders need to use. Everything else is why is that happening, right? is drawing causality into it. And from there, we can attempt to grow from wherever we are. But all those secondary metrics are secondary to that primary metric. And now let's have a word from this week's sponsor. So many of you guys come up with lots of great ideas for businesses or products or services. And let's face it, in this day and age, you've got to have a great domain name to have a great business. And in order to register a domain for your idea, you've got to use a domain registration platform. And my personal suggestion is Hover. And once you get that domain, you can use it to get a more on-brand or professional email address. Come on, guys. Some of you are still using. I get them every day. Hotmail.com and Yahoo.com addresses to do business for your great idea. Um, And that's just not going to cut it anymore. And with a Hover domain email registration, it works with whatever email programs you're already using. So go find a domain name for your great idea. Go to Hover.com and use the promo code ASH. DTM. That's today's guest, Ash DTM. And at checkout, you're going to save an extra 10% off your first purchase. What do you what do you say to a startup or business owner who, you know, is very I mean, to them the one metric is revenue. <laughs> um, yeah. and, you know, are we are we growing revenue or not growing revenue? Is that too shallow of a view? 
Yeah, so, so I think everyone wants revenue at the end, but I describe revenue as the byproduct of something else happening. Yeah. Um, and so oftentimes when we just make revenue the goal, people do silly things. They start using funny accounting practices or they realize revenue in funny ways um, just to show their stakeholders that they are hitting revenue targets. Or we start even altering the business model. I might start doing some custom consulting work um, just to meet the numbers. And so those are not repeatable things. So I often say, yes, revenue is great, but you have to be able to tie it back to the customers in your business model that drove that revenue. And ideally, you have to tie it back to some repeatable attributes. I mean, there's another example in the book, which I think is a good one to illustrate this, and that is the Starbucks story. So Starbucks was just a coffee shop, and like every coffee shop, they got people in, gave them coffee, and then they left. And they didn't incentivize people to stay in the store, because why would they want to stay in the store and not buy coffee? Um, so they kicked everyone out. The, there was no incentives to stay. There were no comfortable sofas. The, the, the toilets were locked. Um, but people still hung around there, and they started having meetings, and they would buy more coffee. And they observed that this pattern was growing. And so for them, the time spent in store was correlating with more revenue. Right. And that's kind of a key insight. So they realized that it was not about how much revenue are we making today, but if we change the environment of Starbucks and get people to spend more time inside, they would actually spend more money with us. And, and that was a rebranding of the company where they went and uh, changed themselves from just a coffee shop to this third space between this and, uh, and, uh, and work, uh, put in comfortable couches, gave them free Wi-Fi, and now their customer lifetime value is projected at something around $20,000 kind of on average. It's, it's just an estimate. Yeah. But yeah, but, but that's kind of how you want to think about that. Yeah, and I, and I think the, the point you make there too is especially when you throw this idea of scaling, sometimes, sometimes tracking revenue can too closely can actually be a hindrance to scaling because as you suggested, you might do things to grow revenue that actually are hurting the long-term viability of the real idea. Yeah. And, and, my, and my favorite kind of after effect of this, if you go into, and this is, you know, usually startups or large companies, if the, if the quarter was good, if the revenue was good, everyone takes credit for it because obviously it was because of our efforts, you know, whether it's marketing or development. When revenue is bad, the fingers start pointing at each other because you know our KPIs look good. It's usually somebody else's fault, um, and that's the problem we run into when we don't have this causal characteristic. So in the book, I also try to get into how do you really do that revenue attribution in yeah. in a smart way, um, and that gets more complicated with metrics. But there are solutions for doing that. Is there um, is there in your view a process by which somebody can somewhat accurately? Uh, come up with what this single number is or this single metric is? Yeah, so I think, de- so, so depending on the business model type, so I, I, I think there are fundamentally a few business model design patterns or archetypes. Mm-hmm. And the first thing is asking yourself, which one do you, which category do you really fall into? And fundamentally, the job of a business model, um, and I take this definition from Saul Kaplan, who wrote the book, Business Model Innovation, uh, factory, he has the word factory at the end, um, but he describes a business model as the story you, you, you use to talk about how you create, deliver, and capture customer value. And so fundamentally, if you can point to where value is created, how you're delivering it, so are you delivering it through a service or through software, um, how are you capturing that value back? Is it really the same user, like in the coffee shop example that buys the coffee, or in a Facebook example where you have users and then the customers are advertisers? So we can use those archetypes to describe how those three jobs are happening in the business model and uh, attach 
associated metrics with them, and then those become the fundamental kind of traction metrics that you, you can distill it down to the one metric, which is the value capture, and that's the one that you want to track, and then the secondary metrics flow out from there. So uh, you spend a lot of time in the book talking about various and describing various business models. I mean, are there really any left? Are there any new ones, or is everybody just creating the next Airbnb for X or, or Marketplace for X? Yeah, so I, I think I, I don't – so obviously there's going to be business model innovation and the way we remix and are inspired. So you know, even the Airbnbs for X, it's taking um, a concept and applying it in many different places. But I think fundamentally, yes, I mean we find – if you take those three jobs, create, deliver, capture value, and you remix them, there are so many permutations and combinations. And then if you bring in domains, you know, what you do in, and if you look at Apple's business, they took kind of a subscription model that came from software, and they're now in some ways applying it to their phones and hardware. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of that kind of business model innovation. But I think fundamentally, I just look at every business as doing those three basic things, create value, deliver value, capture value. And the more clearly you can articulate that to yourselves and your stakeholders, uh, the better off you're going to be. One of my favorite chapters uh, in the book is actually the last chapter, or I think it's close to the last, but where you talk about bringing the whole team. I mean, this is not something that you just dictate, that this is actually a a collaboration to come up with this metric to figure out how you're going to test it and use it and apply it. And um, almost, it almost feels, that chapter almost reads like a workshop. Is that really how you kind of, prescribe companies uh, get their arms around this so that everybody's on board? Yeah, so th- so definitely this book is a play on you know, the scaling lean title has two connotations. One is definitely as your product is growing, um, some of the challenges change. So it talks about what do you do when your product starts to scale? How do you plan for that with the metrics? Um, the other part is as any product scales, we sometimes start to add more people. And so how do you stay true? If I, I go to many large companies and when I talk to some of the found founders in the company, they reminisce. They they go back to the days when they remember having those customer conversations. And yeah. now there's so many layers between yeah. and the customers and everyone in the company and customers that that's all lost. Um, so I kind of go back to saying, you know, you have to bring the customer's voice into the conversation and then suggest some team structures and some um, reporting cadences. You know, things you should be talking about regularly um, in that last chapter. And one of the things I, I point out, and this is kind of an unfortunate side effect of specialization is that on the one hand, we've all specialized. You know, I was an engineer, a developer, um, and so whenever I looked at a problem, I always thought it was an engineering solution that would work. Um, I can show that same problem to my designers and they would have a different perspective. They would come up with a design solution. Um, my marketers and salespeople would have a different, yet another perspective. So I think that there are going to be lots of ideas for solutions and the way is not to say one is better than the other, but in the book I kind of uh, prescribe to this thing that good ideas can come from anywhere and so we need to collectively come together expose the problems but not try to bias each other with solutions we need to go away come up with solutions and then test them rigorously to see which ones actually do work and then double down on those yeah no no, no one sees the world as it is we merely see it as we see it <laughs> absolutely yes yeah so um Ash, great uh, visiting with you. Um, scaling lean, mastering the key metrics for startup growth. Is there some place that uh, you're going to have uh, people go if they want to find out more or get some extra resources? Uh, obviously, the book will be available everywhere. Yeah, so, so the book uh, it's, will be available everywhere. There, We do have the URL scalinglean.com, so that's kind of easy to remember. Uh, but if you want to find me online, I do a lot of my writing and my contact information is all at leanstack.com. 
Ash, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, hopefully we'll see you out there on the road. Thank you, John.